never do this. All right. So I missed the prayer, but that's all right. Um, so I usually I have fairly tight sense of where I want to go in you know in the session, and I really deliberately chose not to do that for today. Um, we have this session. We have one more session in August, and they go shoom. You know, there we are. And there went foundations, right? So I wanted just to make sure that today we go, I just want to be really sensitive to the spirit and the spirit in you to say, what do you need? What, you know, what are you pulling? Um, how do we go in a direction that, that really gives you what you want? We just have a couple more, you know, this session and one more. Um, so I, I thought we could start out just kind of, Pulling from where we've been, and then and then we'll take it from there. But feel free to to move in whatever direction you want to go, so you get what you want. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we talked last time about the power of humility, and um, I don't know. Did any of you get a, an opportunity to take the advantage of using the activations, the, the daily activations that you were given out? We started out strong and then we. And then you faltered. Okay. All right. Um, so I, you have those. I would, I would use those. Um, also, I would suggest to you that you take advantage of going back and listening to the to the recordings. Um, you know, you can fast. I think you can. I don't. I've never tried using them on there, but I think there's a way that you can skip over what you kind of got that part and move on to the next. I don't know if they're really that interactive, but I'm, I'm hoping they are. Um, but but to re-listen and ponder. Sometimes when, I don't know about you, but how you learn, if you just grab things right out of the air and you've got them. <clears throat> but for me, I need to hear them, get a little bit settled, figure out what I grasp, and then listen again and add something to it. it for me, I learn cumulatively. And... I pull out something that makes sense and then you've got something else to add to and you go from there. So um, the, the content has a lot of potential for growth, but you'll have to use it and work it and draw from it. So um, <clears throat> there, there was this quote from last time about meekness. It's meekness and lowliness of heart should be the distinguishing feature of the disciple as it was of the master. Such humility is not a thing that will come on its own. It must be made an object of special um, desire, special prayer, special faith, and patience. So my question out of even just last time when we were together um, is how have you worked with the Holy Spirit to put off the old man that's the one that's impatient. That's the one that's confused. That's the one that's insecure. That's the one that's not happy. That's the one that doesn't serve you well. That's the one that is angry and petulant and selfish. And all the one that, for whatever reason, we, um, we know the old man is dead, right? But there is within this world dynamic the possibility for that dead man to keep trying to buffalo you, like Satan, just be a liar, right? And come up and go, well, I'm so alive. I'm so alive, right? And that's why 
we're told in the scriptures, put off the old, put on the new. Paul's saying, I die daily, right? Um, it isn't that he's, that, that it's not effective, you know, the, the, um, the uh, ministry of Christ on your behalf, it is effective, but we can get buffaloed into thinking it isn't and get our eyes and our heart and our emotions <clears throat> all engaged in levels that aren't us. And we've talked about that from the very beginning about high view of parenting. If, if you're not parenting well, you're parenting outside of your identity. And, and so it's an identity crisis. It's, hey, straight, get, get your identity clear, get back to the roots, and all the power of parenting in the image of Father um, will be there for you, right? So any ways that you can share with each other, like how have you worked with Holy Spirit in this last month since we saw each other? <coughs> Excuse me for my voice. To put off the old who is dead but wants to resurrect. I'll start. Yeah. I think for me, um, if I look at the beginning and where we are now, it's it's uh, it's certainly far from perfect. But um, there's definitely a more conscientious effort to it. Um, you know, especially with the yelling, hey, get this done, go get dressed, you know, that whole thing. Like, you know, I fail at that often, but I'm at the same time far better than where I was. So it's just kind of a conscientious effort. Um, and it's, it's just, uh, it's going to be repetition, practicing it, and, you know, implementing it, like patience, and just kind of trying to, use other tones, like, hey, didn't, didn't I just tell you? We're supposed to get dressed, buddy? Like that kind of thing, versus get dressed and get by you know, that whole thing. <laughs> so like, I think that's a bigger thing for me, just being more conscientious. Maybe, maybe because I wasn't even aware of it before this. Probably not right? at all. So, Probably not at all. So when it's there, and we've been grounding it in, this whole time, um, it's now become part of what is the normal right way to do it. Not okay, there's a lot, there's good things in there. So let me just comment on that and then we'll go on yeah. just so we don't take advantage sure. of everything that the Lord puts <laughs> out here, okay? So the business of, of barking orders mm -hmm. is very typical in, in um, American households because we live way up to the edge, beyond the edge of our um, energy levels and where we are just in a rush all the time we get up and we're rushing and we're rushing our kids and I was just listening to something again by Charlotte Mason yesterday and, and where you know she had really said the idea of, of rushing all the time is very self-defeating that that's got to stop how do we do that so that's a whole different issue but we fall into the barking orders then we're always saying to our children, don't you bark orders at me. You know, I'm not your slave. And um, please and thank you very much, you can ask me, right? But you're going, hey, get your shoes. We've got to get in the car, right? So I, just this last week, again, I was thinking and, and working with some parents of going, children, it's not hard to have children say please and thank you. If please and thank you is just flows through your house morning, noon, and night. I mean, my husband and I say please and thank you to each other over everything. It's absolutely habitual. 
It's just completely habitual. Honey, would you grab that for me, please? You know, um, hey, I thought we were going to do this. Wasn't that right? Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Somebody comes in and does anything. There's a thank you. A thank you for that. Thanks for getting me that. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. That. I mean, I, if I had a little clicker and just tried to remember, I'd probably be just clicking off the charts because our home is filled, even to this day, you know, with the kids being sort of out with please and thank you. So it was never, hi, you guys. So it was never, ever hard for that. I mean, we at the dinner table, it's, could you pass that, please? Could I have a little more of that, please? Thank you for this. Thank you for that. So if you have an isolated home, a home, excuse me, where you are, you're, you're living one way and expecting your children to live another, it's always going to be contentious. You will always be frustrated, and you're being quite hypocritical. I mean, just call it what it is. It's quite hypocritical. That's not a good word, right? It's a hypocrite that says, I'm going to ask you to live a way I don't live. You may not bark orders at me. I bark orders at you. You must say please and thank you. I'm going to just tell you what to do, and I'm never going to say please and thank you. Excuse me? Who do you think you are? <laughs> right? What happened to the model business, right? So that whole thing of now habit is worth 10 natures, you may have a nature that is just Johnny on the spot, ready to, you know, everyone, ship shape, right? Get the shoes, get the whatever, you know, get to bed, whatever, that kind of thing. Well, a habit can overcome your nature. And, and so making sure that you are working on, that's why, um, you know, I'd given you that list of, of um, from last time, of focus on personal transformation, right? Remember this that came last time? And um, living out of the flesh and living out of pride, that list, and then living out of spirit and humility. And going over that and going, who, where am I on this part of living out of the dead man um, that Jesus died to free me from, right? And where am I over here living out of the spirit? So you can add on here going, if I'm living out of the spirit, honestly, I'm very thankful for everything kind thing that anybody does to me, the littlest in the house or the biggest in the house. You know, I'm very thankful. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It just flows freely from me because I'm walking in the spirit. If I'm walking in the flesh, I have this, this thing of I'm going to be working to be authoritarian. I'm going to be overbearing. I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to be um, quick-mouthed. I'm going to, you know, all these things that I can look at and I can go check this and go, hey, where am I? living out of the dead old man and where am I living out of the spirit? Because what I'm modeling for my children is what they're going to give me back. So if I have a little child who puts their hands on their hips and goes, no! And you go, oh! You know, if you've got the guts to do that to me, I'm your dad, I'm your mom, kind of thing. And then you realize that a lot of times you're just standing over the top of the child and going, didn't I tell you to put those things away? I said, no! You know, hands on the hip, that kind of thing. And you go, Hey, like father, like son, like mom, like, you know, child. So, um, so that business of catching the barking, the orders is beautiful. I mean, you are just like putting off the old, putting on the new. You're going exactly in the right direction. And now you each hold each other accountable because you go, okay, if I've got a habit of something that is on this fleshly pride list, right? Then thank God you've got a mate who can just tap you on the shoulder and go, hey, you know, a little, a little working on the, <laughs> and so you just help each other. You help each other. So there's no pride. 
There's no defensiveness. There's just that sense of being able to say, hey, we're stronger together in righteousness than we could be apart. You point out my stuff, I'll point out your stuff, and neither one of us are going to defend because we are going for the gold, right? And then help each other out. So there's the, the barking of the orders, which we don't want to do. And then something else that you had mentioned, Gus, in there that was really helpful was um, now ch changing and transitioning into saying, hey, 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 buddy, didn't I tell you to put your clothes on? So now we've moved towards barking orders, towards being you know, kind-hearted, um, towards being, trying to be supportive or, or empowering, right? Good moving in the direction. Now where we can take that to the, the level where it should be is that we do not want to have to remind your children to do anything. So in, in a Charlotte Mason school, for example, in the education system of Charlotte Mason, um, you're not repeating directions to children. They're not even getting to hear what, they have what has been read to them more than once. So um, it's very important that you train the focus of a child to just automatically pick up on what they're supposed to do. So let's go back. I, I really, really, really want to send you out of here next month going. We can go over this list of, of you know, what's possible for you because in your families, with your children, since you've been here, um, since you've gone through this, this class, I want it all locked in for you guys. I'm really pulling. <laughs> all right. So here we go, and we're saying to a child, hey, buddy, didn't I tell you to put your pajamas on, right? So what could we do that moves that child from a habit of needing to be told multiple times, a habit of training you to stay on them? Children, everybody's being trained somehow. The child is either being trained positively or negatively. You are either being trained positively or negatively by your circumstances and by your choices. So you are being trained to remind your child three times to stay on the task of getting ready for bed or more, right? Um, so now that has to stop. So how are we going to do that? So you have a child and you're going to work on a one-time instruction. So here are a couple of hints. You're gonna say, um, Johnny, time to get ready for bed. Now we've got, we're pulling on a bunch of things because hopefully you have a routine for bedtime that is the same every night, unless you've been to grandma's house for a big reunion and didn't get home till 12 and now it's all thrown out the window. But primarily, 99% <laughs> of the time, you have a routine and the child knows the routine and, and that is established. Routines are absolutely critical. Habit formation. So all the nitpicky stuff doesn't have to happen. That drains you, teaches your children bad things, teaches you bad things, and takes your home down to a level of bedroom, bathroom, kitchen where you can't ever get to the high level living that Christ has you do, right? So you're gonna work with your child now to be able to say, first of all, you're establishing your routine your child knows what the routine is. You're going to say, Aiden, you're going to say, Johnny, you know, whatever. Um, honey, now's the time to get your pajamas on. Step one, right? Now, when you say, Johnny, what's that child's head going to do? They're playing. 
they're walking away, their heads down, they're looking away, and you call a child's name, what is going to happen 100% of the time? Yes, Daddy. Yes, Mama. Okay. Doesn't have to be yes, Daddy, or yes, Mama right now. When you call a child's name, so don't wear it out. Donnie, 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 okay? Right. I mean, when they hear their name called, what you've been taught is that the power of attention, the swivel neck, right? So if that doesn't happen, the child has to have this habit that when you call their name, when you say their name, they're attentive. In the scriptures, it says, my son, pay attention to my words, right? God is saying, you'll never come into obedience to God if you cannot pay attention, right? Samuel, he's a child. God says, Samuel, Samuel, right? He's awake at his name, but he doesn't know he's supposed to turn his head towards God. He turns his head towards a person. But the whole idea of saying, if Samuel just said, call my name 20 times, I am sleeping and I am not even going to turn my head, right? I mean, where would, where would the prophet Samuel have been? Like, off the list, right? We're moving on to prophet Joel, all right? So, so you're teaching your child a very spiritual, foundational discipline in the relationship with with God and wisdom to be able to say when an authority figure when my father figure in my life my mother figure right my God figure calls my name my head turns I turn from everything I give full attention so oftentimes we're saying hey buddy come on time to get in your jammies right yeah. you don't have the attention of that child they've not yielded the attention to you so that's not what you do so you're gonna just call their name, their head is gonna turn, and if, if their head doesn't turn, then you're just gonna go very gently, very softly, so they want to be here with you, right? You're just gonna go and go, whoops, let's try this again, sweetie. And you back up and you go, Johnny! And he turns his head and you go, eyes right here, eyes right here, right? And then you're gonna look and you're gonna have that child's attention and you're gonna say, honey, time to get your jammies on. Right? Now, if you're in the training stage of that, you're going to just kind of maybe say something else like, I don't know, um, some kind of random comment, little bridge come in between. And then you're going to say, okay, honey, just, and this motion right there, they know, keep your eyes right here. And I told you, you better have a face that's nice to look at <laughs> or no kid is going to put their eyes on you. So, but you've got this nice warm face and you're going like this, you know, your hands, your fingers right there below your eyes. And then you're just going, so tell me what you're going to do. And now let me ask you one question. Are you going to stop and play with your toys before you get there? You know? Are you going to stop and talk with your brother? No. Okay, so Jami's on, right? Okay, <clears throat> and what are you going to do right after that? I'm going to come to you, Daddy, and show you I have my Jami's on. Doop. Peaceful, joyful, and pretty soon you don't have to do that. Pretty soon you just have to have to say, Johnny, head comes around. Time to get your jammies on, and that kid knows, straight line it, get it done. He comes back to you and shows you it's done, right? Now, if you're working on dawdling, you got you know a little bit of a different issue here where you're just going to move forward on your training, right? And say, okay, here's my little egg timer. I've told you how to use those, right? The child never touches them, only you. And you're just going to say, you know, it's taking a little long for you to get your jammies on in the evening, so let's see if we can speed it up a little bit, right? So now you're gonna go, Johnny, eyes on me, right? And you're just gonna say, time to get your jammies on. 
and tonight, Speedo, right? <laughs> and you're gonna go, so here, here's like three, you think you could do it in three minutes, right? And so you can just put it right there and then the child goes in, he's got a task, he's gonna come right back, he's gonna come back and you're gonna compare and see if he beat the egg timer. And then there's just this joyful, wow, that's great. Pretty soon you're, you're weaning out the egg timer, the child just has a habit of turning his head, taking an instruction with total focus, going and getting the job done, coming back to you speedily and there it's done. That's the last you ever have to talk about it for the rest of his life. Thank God. I mean, how, how many parents, the child is eight, nine, they're still fighting with their kids just to get their pajamas on and go to bed and I'm going, get it over when they're three and never have to talk about it, right? It's so easy if we just think clearly about the principles of training, pre-training, the, the training, the pre-training, the training, and then the redo, all done gently, beautifully as a trainer. So, so we'll, we'll go on from here, but while I'm thinking about it, um, I wanted to mention this business in the scripture where it talks about fathers do not exasperate your children. You've all read that. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Give me a definition of exasperation. Exasperate. Frustrate. Frustrate. Good synonym. What Nagging. else? Pardon? Nagging. Nagging. Anger. What? Annoyed. Annoyed. <laughs> Anger. Anger. Irritation. You know? So here you have the scripture, God saying, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not exasperate your children. All right, you are a coach. You are a life coach. You are a Holy Spirit empowered and God assigned mentor coach to your child. You're the life coach. So let's say you were trying to learn a skill, a sport, let's say it's soccer. It could be anything, you know, but we'll pick a sport just to make it obvious. And you have a coach who's assigned to you to build you into a world-class soccer player, like a super successful soccer player. So that coach had better know how to coach, right? I don't care if he is the best soccer player in the world, if he doesn't know how to coach someone else to be the best soccer player in the world, it's a moot point, right? So there are skills to coaching. There are skills to coaching. What do you want in a coach? You're, if you're gonna be trained as a world-class soccer player, what do you want in that coach? Start listing things for me. Patience. Patience, yeah. Patience okay. Knowledge. Knowledge. You want him to know what he's doing and know how to communicate it to you, right? So it's not what he knows. He's got to know it, but he's got to know how to communicate it to you. Discipline. Discipline. Control. Okay. So discipline, you want discipline for him to be able to communicate discipline to you, right? And control, he's meaning? controlled. Like, I had a coach who wasn't controlled, so he was always angry. Okay. So, and that whole issue comes out. It's all that's a coach who's. It's all about me. So, if you don't succeed, 
I'm looking like a failure. You're making me look bad, babe. And this ticking me off, right? You're going to get this because this is all about me. Whew, transfer that one over into your parenting. And that's not uncommon at all. You see parents in a grocery store doing the most hideous things with their children. And I'm going, you're an egomaniac. You're not doing the right thing with your kid because it's all about you. And you're tired that, you know, you're just mad that they're embarrassing you. You're, and you have failed in your training and your child is being humiliated because of it. That's totally unacceptable. Totally unnecessary. You know, and it's just, and you look at parents with great, I look at, the, you know, parents in those situations with great um, compassion and sadness in my heart going, has no one taught you a better way to coach you know, the, a successful way to coach your child. So where it's all about them and not about you, because you're okay. You're already locked into your identity. Don't get so shaken, right? All right, so you have this coach that has to know how to coach. If they don't know how to coach, if you've got a lousy coach, the trainee is going to be extremely exasperated, right? You're going, I, I really believe I've got it in me to be a good soccer player, right? But you are so impatient with me. You don't know how to explain to me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. You are just a lousy coach. And then you get angry because you go, I'm, and I'm stuck with you, right? You're my coach. And this is not going well. So inside the child comes exasperation, right? And they don't know whether they're supposed to think of themselves as a failure, whether they're supposed to turn on you and say you're a bad coach. They feel guilty about doing that. I mean, just play out that dynamic in your head, right? So when we're working with our children, we have to be working with them in such a way that we are not provoking them. We're not exasperating them. So to not exasperate a child means that we want to be able to get that child to the point, and first we have to clarify it in ourselves. What is it that's expected of the child? What do I believe that a three-year-old is capable of doing in terms of eating and manners and bedtime and, and um, lifestyle? What do I believe a three-year-old is really capable of? So much more than what we give them credit for. And so we allow all this chaos. We allow all this poor character development because we really believe that's all they can do. Then we go back to what we were talking about. Don't despise the children, Jesus says. Do not think less of them than I think of them. Right? He knows the potential that's inside that child. So I'm, I'm just going to stop there, kind of, you know, it's random comments, but I just wanted to take advantage to say you are moving in an incredibly good direction. And now you just go, now what's the next step and the next step and how do we perfect it to the next step? so that now we can even be bright-faced, we can be not angry, not scolding, not shouting, barking orders, we're moving all in the right direction, and now we can get our child to the point where, right, they, you don't, you're not the reminding. Because rem, if you're having to remind your child, they're not, they're not living out of self-control. They're living out of external control. From the moment a child is born, you are working towards the goal of self-control. So the more you are externally controlling, you're doing your child a great disservice. We think we're helping them stay on track. Let me help you. Let me help you stay on track. Let me remind you this. Let me remind you that. We're not helping. 
because that's not our goal is to get the task done. Our goal is to develop self-control in the child so they can get the task done. Totally different mindset, right? So that insight should be helpful. Okay, so anyone else then, um, you had you had mentioned, I kind of lifted your hand up over there about um, you know how you've worked with Holy Spirit to put off the old who's dead but wants to resurrect and and you know where have you been moving towards walking in humility and and um, shifting. So along the same lines, I've really struggled with anger, really with the kids, um, but it's been neat to watch the Holy Spirit and we have a ways to go like this said, but. I've watched like my spirit just it's not full of angst and so yes we still have to work through a lot of different things throughout the day but I'm not yelling as much mm-hmm. and if a situation like we had people over last night and one of our our sons was doing something wrong and I I sat from my seat and I he came into the room and he was about to have an attitude and calmly addressed it and told him he had a choice to make, you know, like I just felt so controlled, whereas before I might have run over there and I don't know, maybe got angry. And so overall, I'm just watching God work through my spirit and work so. throughout the day. And um, like I said, we still have a ways to go and I still bark orders um, mm-hmm. at times. But when situations arise, I'm not as quick mm-hmm. to, to yell. And I feel like that is the spirit. That's so great. I remember the first session here with a woman saying, I hate my life. <laughs> you know, it's Crazyville. And yeah. you just bless me no end with where you're coming. Mm-hmm. It's just great. It's just great. Yeah. 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 I think it was really helpful um, to remind us, like, as we are entering into our true identity as parents, yeah. um, it's helped me remind my kids who they are. Like, you know, when they're misbehaving, I I find it really helpful to just sit them down and this is not who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and just remind them of their identity. I think mm-hmm. that's been really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. Everybody in their identity is a good place to be. I think there's a couple examples I was thinking about where uh, it's it feels like we're just a lot more sensitive to, you know, our actions and their reactions. So an example is Isaac a couple times, I think both of us maybe had an, um, an incident or episode where, you know, we're kind of harsh on him or I have like a little bit more of a snap uh, uh, response or kind of like um, saying like, hey, or, you know, getting his attention, etc. And I can see him, you know, immediately very much like very vulnerable. And usually he could be defiant, he could be whatever. But I think when we see that um, sensitivity in him, then we ourselves are like, oh, okay, we need to come back and, and say to him, you know, that was wrong. That was, you know, dad is sorry, mom is sorry. And, mm-hmm. and that, I think, it just makes me feel a lot like our relationship with our father where you know, we do these things, but then there's always a chance to come back and say, you know, that was not the right way. And, you know, thank God that there's a, a way to feel that or to be triggered to be like oh i need to i need to be humble here or have Mm -hmm. humility and and have reconciliation Mm -hmm. it's beautiful so the i'm sorry is is really important and now i'm gonna I'll, i'll take that into a deeper level i have worked with parents who are very free to say i'm sorry 
to their children over and over and over and over and over again, and they'll probably be saying, I'm sorry, to their children on their deathbed. So there is a positive way, like what you're saying here, to say, I'm sorry, I, I lost my temper, or I, I, was, that was, I wasn't thinking clearly, and what I did was wrong, use the right word, what I did was wrong, <laughs> something, right? And I'm sorry, and I want you to know I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Now, that kind of I'm sorry, I'm sorry, will lead to your children's great growth. Because they will see the right example that says, I repent. And repent means I'm turning around and going in the opposite direction. I am now no longer going to do that rotten thing. I'm going to do this really high and holy thing, right? But if you never get to the point of doing the high and holy thing and they don't see change, I'm sorry throughout the course of a child's life. Well, every time you say, I'm sorry, it'll be like you slap them. They just go, I could care less about your crappy, I'm sorry. It means nothing. You're going to do the same thing again tomorrow that you did today, right? That totally disillusions a child to say there's no power for change. Now, there's another thought that hit me. So this kind of just kind of be shotgun day, maybe stuff, okay? <laughs> but um, the idea, parent, children come out of the womb believing and knowing that there is a God, that they are children, that they, 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 they know it, they know it. I have never met a young child that if you talk to them about the existence of God, they just go, oh, well, of course, did you just figure that out, big person? <laughs> Makes total sense to me, little person I am, you know? They do. Um, but but um, I think where I was going with this, with the, oh, so children, children, when if you if in a Christian home especially where you name God for them, they'll have a consciousness of God. But where you actually name God, you name, you know, Jesus. You talk to them a bit about it, and they know, they know, they will be praying. But they'll know that what they're doing is praying because you've given it a name, and you've given it um, an approach. Otherwise, they'll they'll sort of walk around in awe of Godness but they won't even know that they're praying, but they'll be praying, right? Okay, but you've given it a name, so they know they're praying. Now, they will pray for you. The very first thing that they will ever pray over in their life, most likely, will be mom and dad. Mom and dad. I have seen, over the years, the most tragic disillusionment happen in grown children's lives because they spent their early years of childhood praying over the sins of their parents that their parents never dealt with. And they got to their teenage years and said, there is no God. I prayed my guts out for my angry dad. He's still an angry man. I prayed my guts out. And that, when we talk about Jesus saying, do not put a stumbling block in front of the children. Do not hinder the children from coming to me. One of the greatest hindrances of, it may even be the greatest hindrance to your child coming into a deep abiding relationship with God is your unwillingness to be sanctified, to go from glory to glory, to not be the same person today that you were yesterday and the same person tomorrow that you are today. Because your children are praying for you 
and they want to see a powerful God. And if you are resisting the power of God to work in your life, you are every day teaching your child God has no power and maybe isn't even there. Now that's a very blunt thing that I'm saying to you, but it is absolutely <coughs> worth gold. So the greatest thing you can do, and next week I'm thinking we're going to talk about how do you raise children strong in the Lord for their generation um, to kind of wind up our time. But that one insight right there, so this beautiful thing of saying, you know, Isaac, I'm sorry. Now Isaac needs to see you not do that again, right? He needs to see you working at it. You know, you can say to your child, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this, you know. I don't say please and thank you, and I'm asking you to say it all the time. So if he sees you, stick a card in your pocket that reminds you to say please and thank you, and you just pick it out, and you're going, okay, reminding me to say please and thank you. You know, hey, Isaac, please <laughs> do this. Daddy's working on it. See, and I'm getting it. It's going to be a habit for me, right? They see you working on your stuff. Now, that's the most benign kind of thing. I mean, how about not screaming at your wife? And how about not coming home morose from work? And you know, how about not sitting with your telephone in front of your child when he wants your attention? I mean, those things, right? So your child needs to be able, you need to be able to say to your child, I'm sorry, you'd love to get some time with me. I'd love to get some time with you. And you know what? I am bowing down to this phone that I have or this computer that I have. I'm not doing this anymore, right? And then he needs to see you not do it anymore. Make any deliberate choice to make the changes that you know are right to make. And when he's praying, he's going to go to bed tonight and go, thank you so much for my wonderful daddy. Thank you for my mommy. Thank you that, that you're helping them, right? Because we pray over them. They hear us praying all the time. Help Johnny do the right thing and help something. And they're going, help daddy do the right thing. <laughs> right? So, beautiful. And now just make sure whatever you apologize for never happens again. And you point it out to your child. You know what? I apologize to you for that. And, I, and I'm not doing that again. And then you can say later on, have you noticed, have you noticed that I don't ever do that anymore? Because I prayed and God helped me. And I'm not the person I was last year. <laughs> right? Now we go, hallelujah, memorial stone, right? In Deuteronomy, let's build those memorial stones in your child's life. They go to doubt God and they go, I can't doubt God. I saw how he changed my dad. I saw how he changed my mom. I saw how he changed the marriage of my folks, right? Okay. All right, anything else you want to add in there? So please, please use this. These, these lists are not just throwaway stuff. If you meditate on them, if you really work them for all they're worth, you will grow hugely, right? Just look over these and go, Holy Spirit, where am I today in this? Where am I? Where am I moving? So I, I honestly believe, I, can't, I keep thinking, so what, what am I doing? And why, what are we doing now? <laughs> this isn't organized in any way. But, but I think that, and, and I keep listening to other parent, parenting series and things like that and going, is there a way that I don't have to do this? I could just say, hey, listen to that, you know? <laughs> I should make life a lot easier on my end. Right? Um, but I think there are some key messages that God has inside of Lead Out Education that are not somewhere else. And, I, and, and, and so I'm getting, you guys are so helping me you know, to refine what those things are. And I think there's three key foundations. 
and and you've had a good soaking here of one and that's what's changed your heart and you know and, and, and giving you strength and that is to get that high view of parenting the high view of who you are your identity of, of as, as a daughter as a son of God and the image being in the image of father right father mother so that high view is absolutely critical and, and w tied in with the grace message and this humility message that that everything you need for life and godliness comes from God and you and apart from him you can do nothing and so the humility the the meditations and things that you had from last month during the interim that we weren't together right going over those so many of them are just going just you just admire the humility of Jesus saying I can't do anything apart from the father I I don't say anything apart from God I don't do anything apart from God I am like nothing I am absolutely an empty vessel filled with God doing his bidding and that's all and in me I have nothing right so you go that's my Lord my Savior that's me that's my image and so now in Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit every day I'm saying I'm a branch that abides in the vine the word abides in me it's power I mean you're just doing all those affirmations and and then that you're, you're changed you're changed if we're not changed we are the most pitiful people on the face of the earth you know Christians <laughs> but we are changed we're supernaturally changed so you're not who you were yesterday you're more like Christ today than you were yesterday right you're freer today than you were yesterday so that message I think is huge and the other message is, um, so it's, it's who you are and your identity in Christ as, as the fathering in the image of God. And the high view of marriage, which I, there's just a whole message coming in my heart about the high view of, of marriage. And I talked about it inside of some of these groups that I've held, you know, a smattering here and there. But again, that message that be, getting married is not about you because you're dead. Getting married, getting married is all about God. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about the the expression in the world of Christ in the church. And you can bet your bottom dollar that's the spiritual dark force behind breaking down marriage and behind breaking down sexuality, male, female. It has nothing to do with anything other than Satan wanting to destroy the image of God on the earth. That's what's behind it. So, but giving that message, and, and um, it's not about your being happy. Will you be happy? Yes, you should be happy, you know, but it's not about that. So that high view of marriage. And then the high view of family. What is a family? And I want to, I'm just going to take a minute here. I'm going to go over this table and pull over a couple of books here. Um, this is a book called What is a Family? And, and I was in, I don't, I, it was before I was even married that I was drawing from this woman, um, Ida Schaefer, who just in the last year, she just she died um, maybe a couple years ago now. Um, her husband was. Um, an amazing apologist she was too. Um, they founded Libri, which is still going around the world, primarily Switzerland, but there's, there's some Libris in different places of the world. Anyway, she wrote this book called What is a Family? 
And, and I, I'm going to give you guys, if you want to jot these down, this is a book list worth your drawing from. Um, pick this book up. I, I'm sure it's still in print. If not, you should be able to get a Kindle version or something, right? But it's What is a Family? And um, it's, it's just such a beautiful, I'm, I'm hoping maybe I'll write something that's sort of my version of, of how I would express what she's expressing here. But this is what absolutely transformed my view of family. Um, so she goes through here, just to read this out to you a little bit. Um, she says, you know, life is a changing, a changing, a family is a changing life mobile, an ecologically balanced environment, a birthplace of creativity, a formation center for human relationships, a shelter in the time of storm, a perpetual relay of truth, an economic unit, an educational control, a museum of memories, a door that has a hinge and a lock, blended balances. And, and every chapter is just worth savoring. I mean, she, this was, she was one of my primary mentors um, that I, I just, I don't know what I'd be like if she had not come into my life. Um, and she was the one who just sat and said, someone has to do what needs to be done. And with inside a family, she just said, people look at our family, people look at what's going on with Labrie and all the hospitality and all the welcoming people from all over the world and all of that. And she's going, who's doing all of that? She <laughs> says, me. That's not Francis. He's doing this part. Me, I'm doing all of this part. And if I wasn't doing all this part, it wouldn't be done. Someone has to do the things that have to be done. It takes great sacrifice. It takes laying down your life. It takes doing the doing. <laughs> you know, it's just it's like straightforward, like right in your face going, okay, someone has to be the one to say they're sorry. It's going to be you. Someone has to be the one who's going to make your marriage that's faltering better. It's going to be you. Don't look to anybody else to do what it is that needs to be done. Do it. <laughs> You know, I mean, she's just like, and I, I love hanging around people like that. It's like, you know, don't pat me on the back and say, it's all okay. I'm going, it's not okay. You better tell me how to get out of it. I don't want it to be like this, right? And so this is such a beautiful, beautiful vision for what a family is that if you're, it's, it's just beautiful to make a family where you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you're so grateful that you're married, that you have your children and that you're able to have this being expressed through you. So um, the idea of there being a high view of family, I think those three pillars, the high view of who you are, your identity in Christ as Father, expressing the Father's heart, the high view of parenting, high view of marriage, and then the high view of family, those things are something that I think needs to be expressed inside the body of Christ continually, and, it, and it's the foundation of change. And otherwise, we're working on technical solutions with rotten foundations. And that's the one thing I said I would not do in any of these series is just sit around and give technical solutions. Well, here's a way to get your child not to sass you. Here's a way to get your child to do something. I'm, I'm going, I don't think so, right? The principles will work on that, and then, and then you can carry them with you, but that high view that it's all quite holy, what you're doing. I'll tell you about the other books in, maybe in a minute. All right. Um, anybody have anything to add? 
constant like you know checking myself you know like, like asking god okay check okay this is yeah so anyway so so without god we're journey. back under the law what without god we're back under the law yeah and the law kills right. it kills you it kills exactly. everybody around you and and so that's i look at at other things and i'm going without god they're just telling you what to do and you can't do it yeah. maybe you can pull a little bit of it off for some time but, that, but the things they're telling you to do are the nature of God. And if you haven't got the nature of God dwelling in you, how long can you fake it? How long can you cringe around the edges and just sort of work out of the, quote, image versus the present? You know, I, I just look at it, it's a formula for disaster. Um, not to say that you can't do some really, really good things without God. There's some really, really good people in the world who don't acknowledge God at all. But it's because they're... They really somehow have the way to work the law the best as possible <laughs> without collapsing. So I wanted to ask you, and just pull this back on your screen again. I had given you this this sort of grid, right? Home activities, what character traits and behavioral habits can I train and how, right? And then talking about, and then the sheet that said people, um, the child is going to relate to, what character traits and behavioral habits can I train and how in a, in your day and in your week, places my child will go. What skills can I train ahead and how? Um, this is invaluable. It may seem mechanical to you, but this is exactly you need to put out a sheet for yourself. Now, here's where I'm going to kick it up a notch. Right? This is for your child. But you've got that list here. Here's all my traits living out of the flesh and pride. Here's all my, my um, behaviors and traits living out of the spirit and humility. Right. So now you can make this out for yourself. You can make it out for yourself. If you want to change your habits, you are going to have to work with God to allow him to train you the way you're training your child. He's going to do the pre-train. You're going to read the scriptures. You're going to see what it is he wants you to do and how he wants you to do it. He's going to put you in the situation. You're going to get a chance to try it out. And you're either going to, he's going to come out the other end of that going, woo, feel good about myself. Wow, that went great. Know who I really am. Or you're going to go, and kind of weak in this area like oops the big oops yeah like so not me so not the real me right and you're going to go back to the drawing board you're going to do the redo 
right? <laughs> and then train and come out the other end until you've changed your habits, right? It doesn't all come easily by just going wishfully thinking. You have to add your part to God, which is your, your desire and your, um, the, the amount and the extent to which you're going to put, put, um, put skin in the game <laughs> with the change that you want. Right? It's you and God together. He didn't, that's why he put the Holy Spirit in you. Um, it takes you, right? So you can do this, use this same chart, and you're going, what am I going to be doing today? I'm going to be doing the laundry. I'm going to be having to give my kids lunch. We haven't yet figured out the part about how they're not going to cry about, they don't want the peanut butter. And so I'm working on that. But meanwhile, how am I going to work with me while I'm in the process of working with that till we get it nailed down, right? So you're putting down what your activities are. You're putting down what character traits and behavioral traits are you working on from the spirit, um, the gifts of the spirit, the, the fruit of the spirit, the, the Definition of love, patience, kindness, you know, all these things. But you've got a list here to work on and you can extend it. But now you're going to be working on yourself building these habit patterns. So what am I going to be doing today and what am I working on with me? And get to the end of your day and be able to look at this list and go, okay, how am I doing? Am, am I getting this a habit, right? So Charlotte Mason will say, and just plain brain science, psychology says, there is a period of time to change a habit. Being grumpy and sad is, is a habit. There are people who go around with sour faces. They're dour. They are sad about life. They are expecting the negative. Anytime you talk to them, they'll tell you the things that are wrong. That is habitual. Now, you did read, I'm praying, you read this whole section on a habit is 10 natures. Some of you are, are reading it twice and we need to read it a gazillion times right because they're doing the brilliance group um but th so this section out of charlotte mason's book but this is such an amazing amazingly important revelation and teaching when you do something remember we talked about sow a thought reap an action sow an action reap a habit i think i'm getting this right right um, reap a habit or sow a habit and reap a character right so in changing ourselves in yielding ourselves as instruments to righteousness of righteousness to God it matters that I consistently break away from the old and put on the new until the new is so solidly established that I don't even have to work at it consciously anymore. Now, you know the brain science, I mean, Diane, out of this that Charlotte has explained. If you are, for example, tend to be a depressive person, somewhere um, there, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it my metabolism that's pushing me that way and I need to work on it through the body? Is it my soul that actually created is creating my body change? Because the thoughts that I think change the matter in my brain and the matter in my brain, it takes a season of time for that matter to slough off the old and, and new cells to come right. 
So if I am, I'm being very clumsy in how I'm explaining this, but just as to try and get at this basic picture, when you're going to break out of a habit of being angry, of being snarky of, with your kids, of being um, um, de depressed and sad and going around the house going, oh, I hate my life, or no, I don't know how to, yeah, I gotta, goodness, I've got to get away. You know, we talked about all of that. That literally is changing the material of your brain so that that becomes who you are. Sow a thought, reap a character, get it down the end of the line, reap a character. That's who I am. I'm basically a depressive person. I'm, I'm cynical, I am skeptical, I am irritable, I am impatient, I am. That all started with a thought somewhere, which is why God says, take every thought captive for Christ, casting down vain imaginations, right? That's the act of our warfare against being usurped by the world when God has made us beautiful and free. We do it by capturing thoughts, right? So a thought leads to an action, action leads to a habit, habit leads to the character. And now all of a sudden that's what people know you by. Well, what do you think about Marcia? She's really sweet, but man, she's so sour about life all the time. You know, it's hard to even have time with her. Wow, she's just so hard on her kids, man, you know? And you go, it's all habit. It all comes down to, the vast majority of life comes down to habits that we've established in ourselves. And when we are moving from glory to glory and being sanctified, it is changing habits, right? So talking with each other as couples and saying, what habits do I want to change? Because I need to give myself a full 30 days, right? To say, this is going to be my top goal in life. The one thing I'm going to really focus on is I am no longer going to be doing this. I am putting off this old and I am putting on this new. Help me, wife. Help me, husband, right? Because... You have to go that at least that full 30 days, if not longer, without ever having an occurrence. Did you guys pick up, I, I sent you out um, for the Brilliance Group, I sent you out the link to read Charlotte Mason's Out of Formation of Character. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it yet? Okay, before Monday night. So um, there's just this great, beautiful example of, of changing that, that uh, habit inside of a child of saying, I, it was about temper tantrums. And, this child throwing these wild, wild wingdings and then being just a delightful little child and then these horrible, horrible <laughs> things, right? And how she works through this whole dramatic scenario, right, explaining how to stop that from happening. But never allowing that child to throw a temper tantrum for a month. It can't ever happen. And if it happens, you gotta start back at ground zero and set your next month calendar going, your next month calendar going, right? And then if it ever happens after that, man, you, you get on it right away, right? And you're doing that. Well, we have to do that with ourselves, right? That's why I told you, I think originally, I've got these little clickers, right? <laughs> that I, I've used in my own life. I've gone, I'm working on something. And I just, it's just a little clicker like a counter when you go through counting, going into the ball game or something, right? Like how many times did I snark at my kid? How many times was I thinking a negative thought? Catch yourself. And you want it to be going down, not up. Right? If you're really working with the Holy Spirit, then yield yourself right, to work with him and work it. So I look back at the sheet and go, this may seem, you go, well, what's a little sheet? And you throw it away and you move on. But I'm telling you, if you worked this, if you just worked this, one set for your kid for a week, one set for yourself for a week, you would be going from glory to glory to glory.
because the Holy Spirit will rush in to him who has more will be given you have desire you have hunger whoa you can't stop the Holy Spirit from coming in and empowering you so this is a tool I hope you take away that you will not just throw in the trash or find three years from now in a pile <laughs> you know on the bottom of your desk but that you really work it you really work it um, all right let's take a break for a little bit and then we'll come back for more All right, so let's um, let's regroup again and kind of decide what where we want to go from here. Um, so we're just coming off a break. Let me just tell you the rest of these books that I that I have. Um, so that one by Charlotte, or excuse me, that one by Edith Schaefer. Um, what is a family? Is one of just a foundational book that you'll have. you'll pass it on to your children. Right, as you're training them to raise the next generation after you. Um, this particular book is written by this woman's daughter, her eldest daughter, Susan Schaefer Macaulay, and it's called For the Children's Sake and um, Foundations of Education for Home and School. And um, Susan, I don't know if I had ever mentioned to you how I came in, in contact with Charlotte Mason, who is um, my best dead friend, <laughs> right, who, who I, I, it was Susan, it was Susan who introduced me to start, we were at Labrie in Switzerland um, to study, and, um, and uh, that was the season when Susan had, they had Labrie in England, and Charlotte Mason, who's a British educator, who died back in the late, or in the early 19. 20s. She died in 1923, I think. So she lived primarily in the late 1800s, right? And um, did most of her educational work and was um, became so prominent in the field of education before she died that really she she shifted um, education in England in such a good direction. And she was just by the time of her death, she was so admired um, for who she what she had done in education. And she was a woman who um, had um, a relationship with the Lord that I covet with all my heart. Um, the more that I learn about her, the more that I read. She actually wrote, I think it's five volumes. Maybe she intended five and there's three. But she wrote volumes of, she, she put the Gospels in poetry. And it's some of the most inspired for me, and I just, uh, it's just beautiful because you go, you cannot, you can't write this and not know the God that you're writing about. It just couldn't come out like this, right? So the depth of her relationship. And, and when I've read excerpts of things and listened to um, um, the readings of different, she, she founded the Parent Union, and then it became the Parent National Education Union. And she started out training governesses to in England to be the educators of their children and his whole philosophy of education which is much of you know what I'm giving you is out of Charlotte's influences on my life um, because it's so biblically based and um, so she um, what Susan did in this book is she gave an introduction to 
why, why Charlotte Mason's education, why a different view of education. And the foundation of this little diagram that I have up there is, is that's, that's your family. What is a family? Your family is the education center, the discipleship center. We could use different words for education, but the education center for a child's life. So you birth this child's born into the love of a family. There's the heart, you know, the family is God's design for this education center, this discipleship center. And inside of the context of the family is where the child gets rooted and firmly grounded in wisdom and understanding and servanthood, discernment, knowledge, you know, all we could fill up that box is huge, right? And then they're coming out the other end at 18 years with the character of Christ and ready to take the world and, you know, for the kingdom. And, and so, um, so much of what you, we read um, for, from Charlotte Mason is, is like a, a it's like putting God's plan for how the human soul is to thrive into a practical prism. And then you're, you're out there grasping all of the, how it really works and how you do it, right? She's, just, she's got these six volumes. So this is, Char this is Susan's um, introduction to people about why fall in love with Charlotte Mason and why she could be your best dead friend like mine. <coughs> Did I tell you that when, we, when I heard about her, um, through Susan, none of her, none of Charlotte Mason's books were in print. Mm -hmm. So we were coming back from Switzerland at the time. We came through um, London, and I told my husband, I said, "You take the kids to the bridge. You do the tower. I'm going into the catacombs of the Oxford, one of the Oxford oh. libraries." <clears throat> and I found her six volumes there. And I, in the pitch black dark, you know, no windows, anything like that. And they have the big Xerox machines. And so I just stood there. <laughs> for hours upon hours upon hours, multiple days in a row. And I Xeroxed all of her volumes because I knew I couldn't, they were out of print, they were inaccessible. So I came home with like these two extra suitcases of these Xerox copies of her books that I would say to my husband, I'm going, you've got the kids, I'm going out to you with my best dead friend, Charlotte, right? <laughs> and so she, she is the one who so impacted how we parented our children and how, and we homeschooled our kids, you know, so how we educated them. And, um, but I had no mentor other than just her, and now you guys have such rich mentors to, to help you. I mean, I'm talking about me, I'm just saying there's... I hope I'm a help, I hope I'm a help and not a hindrance. But there are some really wonderful resources that you have. So I highly recommend this book, whether you ever decide to homeschool or what, whatever you're doing for education, but this is, education is a life. So this will impact just how you, how you um, view education with your children. This is, this is a must. <clears throat> this one, <clears throat> excuse me, Better Late Than Early, you have probably heard me talk about. This is the one by Ray Moore that is um, out of print now. I'm trying to work with them to be able to get it back into print, but I don't think so. Um, I would love to figure out how to publish it myself, I think. We bought the Kindle versions. You've got the Kindle versions. The Kindle version, yes, it, I, it is possible to get it on Kindle. Um, I, I don't like a Kindle because I, to learn something for me, I'm like scribbling and arrows and writing on this page and, ah, oh, remember go back and see this one. Ah, oh, no, you know. So I got all this stuff written all over and you guys probably learn in a different way, but I have to interact with my book like it's a person, right? You know, I talk to it with it. <laughs> Here, I'll write this in your margin. Think about this for tonight. You know? <laughs> um, 
So this particular book, I think, is absolutely foundational. I'm giving you sort of the bare bones of things that I'm saying. I, these, things, these things can just transform um, whole futures for you, right? So reading this and the, and the reasons why are so compatible with Charlotte Mason, and I think um, why to not push academics early and why to have some significant skepticism about traditional education um, and what it does that is is actually very negative in children's lives. So this is, I think, very, very critical. Um, and then this one is one that it's called A Weed in the Church by Scott T. Brown. Um, this one I didn't read early on in my parenting, but read it, um, I don't know, how many years ago. Um, but mostly just thinking about the church. You can just see when it was published, 2011. Um, this is, you won't agree with everything that he says, and you'll even maybe be offended by significant things that he says. That's okay, I don't know about you. I don't wanna hang around with people who, who know what I know, who think what I think. How will I get bigger, right? So this particular man has, if you want me to talk about how to raise your children up to be strong in their relationship with God and stand strong in the next generation as kingdom leaders. Um, this is very wise. When he talks about a weed in the church, he's talking about homogeneous groups, and we'll, we'll hit on that you know, probably next time. But this, I highly, highly recommend that book. Okay, so those are my four. And then, of course, Charlotte Mason's volumes that I have right over there, and you have one in your hand. Um, she has um, six volumes on education. First one is Home Education, which is um, foundational for raising your children at, at this age, right? And, um, and then it's Parent and Child, and she goes on to School Education and something. But the volumes are profoundly, profoundly wise um, and a great, great gift to you. Okay, let's let's get back onto habit is ten natures and talking about um, the outplay of that of how to establish routines in your home so that you get out from underneath the trivial stuff that consumes your time and your energy and exasperates you and exasperates your children, right? So talk to me. Did did you each get a chance to read this? I mean, you've got it all the way through, right? Because we've done it in the group, and then you guys, did you? You were okay. All right. Which one does it have? It's um, part three out of home education, which is habit is ten natures. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend that you pour over this and pour over this and pour over this. And first time go through, underline it with a pencil. Next time, circle things with ink. Next time, go back with a yellow pen. Next time, go back with a red pen. <laughs> Until you, you just understand what it is she's saying and the application begins to, to just snap into your, into your brain. Um, we are, we're in this section in the Brilliance group on Monday nights, so, um, I'm wondering if we spend time in this or not. You guys need to read it yet, and you guys, um, so maybe we don't spend as much time in here. Um, 